Good morning, everybody. My name is Harriet, for those that I have not met, and I have the honour to read God's words to us all today. But first, please join me with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Bible reading today is from John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, and that can be found on page 1079 in the Church Bibles. John 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is uh, Prash. I'm the senior minister here. It's, uh, it's good to be with you. And um, as we start this morning, we're, we're kind of um, setting the scene, I guess, for the year ahead. That's why we call it Vision Sunday. Um, it's, it's just a chance for us to clarify our purpose, uh, why, why we think we're, what we think we're mainly about here at St. Stephen's, and so I hope it's helpful for you in that sense. But today, as well, is the chance for us to restart a series which we, we were working through, a, a part of the Bible we were thinking about last, um, last year, around this time, in the book of John. We were looking at the story of Jesus' life through his good friend, John, um, 
and we got up to the end of chapter 12 at Easter last year, and so we've taken a break from that. We're coming back to it now to reconnect with that story and keep following John's account of Jesus' life. And we, we put the break there, actually, because that, that's where John seems to shift his focus uh, the first 12 chapters, he's very much looking at the public ministry of Jesus in his, um, when, when he you know, starts to officially kind of uh, live out um, God's plans and purposes for him. But then he shifts in the second half to, to talk to the disciples. In fact, uh, 13 through to 17, John 13 through 17, is Jesus speaking to uh, the disciples um, directly about what, that, what it is for them to be his disciples, charging them, I guess, and by inference, the church uh, to do the job that he wants them to do. So as we think about Jesus' words here, I want to ask you a question as we start. It's a question that's worth asking ourselves occasionally. Uh, what is your purpose for being here? I don't mean just being here in the building. Uh, what is your, maybe it's just to get brunch this afternoon, that's okay. What's your, what's your purpose for being here more um, broadly in life? Why are you here? What's your purpose? It's a question which actually I think over the last 50 years has become harder for people to answer. I'll just use 50 years, but you know, I mean, in the, in the more recent history it's become hard because we're not always sure where to go for that answer. In fact, in the Alpha course, which was part of Wednesday night's uh, Lunar New Year dinner, which was fantastic, that's actually where they start their course, with this great question of, what's the purpose and meaning of my life? The reason I ask that is because that is what Jesus is, in a sense, um, trying to help his disciples understand here. What's their purpose? And by inference, so what is our purpose? As he, as he seeks to teach that, that, and, and help them with that, in a section which is really all a, a big extended mon dialogue between him and, um, and his disciples, because they're in this upper room, they're about to celebrate what we later would describe as the Last Supper, the Passover meal, the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples. It's all a big dialogue, but he actually starts his teaching with an action. And so we, oh, my screen's gone here, Graham. There it is. I think he might have kicked the cable by accident. Um, here's, here's what, this action, this moment just happens. They sit down for their meal. The Passover was this, this event that Israelites, the Jewish people, celebrated as a remembrance of what God had done thousands of years ago for them, rescuing them out of slavery in Egypt and, and bringing them into the Promised Land. It was a reminder of how God had, in light of um, the sacrifice of a, uh, a, a young sheep, go, a lamb, had passed over their nation when punishing the Egyptians. And so this was a tradition. But at this meal, they sit down to have this meal, and this happens. It says, Jesus gets up, he takes off his outer garment, or he lays down his outer clothes, and he wraps a towel around him and he pours water into the basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you might have read this account very many times, and so you think, oh, big deal. Yes, we've heard of this one before when he washes their feet. But at, the, at that moment in time, this is an extraordinary act. 
the, the, what he's doing is what often the lowest slave in the household would have done in Jesus' time. In fact, Jewish rabbis said even Jewish slaves shouldn't do this. This is so far below them to do. But here Jesus is, he's doing it. And, and what's even more startling is that we know, John has already told us that Judas will betray him, and yet here at the table is Judas and Peter. These two men who will, in a matter of hours, betray him. In fact, for Judas, a matter of minutes, really. But Jesus washes their feet as well. It's, it's a really startling event. In fact, that is why, in a sense, Peter responds the way he does in verse 6 with that question, are you going to wash my feet too? Because what Jesus is doing is an extraordinarily uncomfortable act of service. It lowers him in their eyes. He's doing something that the lowest person, people that basically persona non grata would have done, but he's doing it. It's also physically just a very um, unappealing activity. They walk through the streets in Jesus' time. They don't have closed shoes. The streets are not tarred. They're dusty. They're filled with the refuse of animals and people. And so when your, your feet were the, the one part of your body that you know, no one wanted to have anything to do with. But Jesus is down there. So the question is, here is Jesus about to set up his disciples, so why does he start with this action? Why does he start with this action? Well, he, he answers this question for us in verse 15. He says to the disciples, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. An example, the word, it's like a pattern, a step-by-step -step guide about how you should live about what your life should be about. In our house, we've been building Lego uh, since Christmas. Someone gave our kids like these big Harry Potter figurines to build out of Lego with thousands of pieces of Lego and 257 steps to do. And you need to do all of them because if you skip them, it doesn't work, as we found out painfully a number of times. You need to follow the steps, the pattern. You need, to, you need to trace the steps of the person who first did. And Jesus is saying, I've laid down a similar pattern for you. This is what it looks like to, to be God's people. This is the purpose of your life. This is the shape of your life. This is the activity that you're meant to be. And in case we think, oh, there's a bit of an exception here for some. He really, he really drives home the point. He says in the previous verse, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Makes it clear. There are no exceptions. No one is too good for this because Jesus, who stands at the top of the tree in their eyes, has been willing to condescend to, to stoop down to this kind of level, this, this humiliating, uncomfortable challenging, demeaning level of service. There is no exception. There is no exception. No one is too good or too precious or too valuable to not serve. In fact, if you were to take Jesus' lesson, you'd say the hallmark of God's people is service of him and others. This is not new. Jesus is not telling us something new because when he sums up the Old Testament law and prophets, he says, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbour as yourself. This, is, this has been the thread throughout the Bible. But Jesus, here in this moment of, of, of action,
action is teaching them something in a very vivid way. They'll never forget this moment again. Whenever they look at their feet, they will remember that the Lord Jesus was on his hands and knees washing them, scrubbing them. And they will remember that is the pattern for their life as well. And so it is the pattern for us. This is, this is the dynamic. This is the goal. This is the shape of our life. Now, I, the, I, today's Vision Sunday, and I could have taken a different passage, which I guess um, was more closely connected to some of the, the language, uh, our vision language, but I thought, that this is the start of a series. We'll, we'll just go with where God leads us. But I think this passage is very helpful for us as we think about our common life together as God's people. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to us, maybe you've joined us in the last few months, uh, Back in 2020, a little bit after the pandemic, after um, reflecting and thinking, we came up with this phrase to kind of describe what we think um, it, it is to be God's people here in Willoughby. And we said, we long to be a church made beautiful, diverse and large by the gracious work of Christ. And as we, I mean, the, first, the second two, diverse and large, uh, you know, generations and cultural diversity, that was pretty pretty clear what we meant there, and large, you know, a church that's growing and seeing new people welcomed into our community, that was pretty self-evident. Interestingly, the, the word beautiful was the word that lots of people really loved, but there wasn't a particular level of clarity about what we meant by that. We really had a sense that, yes, that's good, that, that sounds like the kind of people we want to be, but what does it mean? And as we, we've thought and reflected on this over the, over the last few years, we've come to a sense of, I think, clarity that to be beautiful is to be people who live and love like Christ. Actually, that's what the Bible is talking about. Because when the Bible talks about beauty, it's not aesthetic beauty, it's, it's character beauty, it's virtue beauty, it's, it's the life lived out. And not just in some kind of arbitrary, ethical way, but a life that looks like Jesus' life. A life that's like him in character and purpose, and as you see, in service of others. And so as we think about what Jesus is teaching today, it's intimately connected, actually, to our vision. Because Jesus is saying, hey, your purpose, as one of God's people, is to be like me in service. To be uncomfortably willing to serve others. To go to the lowest point for the sake of others. That is what it is to be a church that's made beautiful. To be a church that's marked by this, this genuine desire to serve other people. At great cost to ourselves. A, 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 a love and a service of others which is humble and gracious in its approach. And so that's been our, our, our vision, and you can see that that is what we need to recommit to, I guess, this year as we step out for another year of being God's people in Willoughby and Chatswood and Artarman. How do you put that into practice? How, what does service look like? Well, I mean, it looks like a, a lot of things, but I want to suggest just three broad character, categories which you could use. Here they are, time, energy, and possessions. I think if you apply these three categories to your life and to our life corporately, we, we can express, in a sense, what Jesus is calling us to. When he calls us to serve, it means it requires our time. It, will, it costs us our time, actually. 
It costs us our time to be with. You can't serve someone if you're not with them. You must make your time less important than their time. I think this is a constant challenge for us. And I want to encourage you to join a midweek gap group this year, a Bible study group, and invest the time with people. Come to church. Invest the time with the people that we're with. Time, energy. It requires us to spend our energy on other people. Serve alongside people. Hop in a team. We'll talk about all of these things over the course of the year. I want to talk about the last one, possessions. I'm the senior minister. It's incumbent on me to talk about the budget and the finances at times. But you know what? I actually think that the way we use our possessions, I didn't just say money, I just said possessions. We're going to actually spend May thinking in terms of a theme about our wealth and possessions. But I think the way we think about our money and our stuff is one of the key places that we really do push ourselves to be servant-hearted and sacrificial, especially in our culture where we are materially well-blessed, but it is often a thing that we rely on, that we treasure most. So the extent to which we can really be uncomfortable in the use of our wealth and possessions uh, is an opportunity to serve others. Our church has a budget every year. Um, the wardens and the parish council set it, uh, and they hope and pray that the church community will support it. And you know what? This has been a great and encouraging story for me. I just did a rough calculation yesterday. I think our budget, between 40 and 50% of our budget, is spent on things which reach, minister, and care for people outside of our community. I think that is so fantastic. I really want to applaud the parish council and wardens for, for making those decisions and choices. Our mission giving last year, we, we were very thankful for this as a, as a group when we met for our parish council meeting a few weeks ago. Our mission giving at St. Stephen's was the highest last year it's ever been in the history of the church. Giving away money for the sake of other people. That's what it looks like to serve. And to do it uncomfortably is the challenge, the stretch for us. Now, what Jesus is saying, you see, Jesus is not saying service is wiping your baby's bottom, as, as unappealing as that might be. No, he's, he's taking it to a whole other level, a whole other level of self-giving and sacrifice, isn't he? It's lowering yourself. It's, it's a level of graciousness even to those who would ultimately conspire against you. And I don't know about you, but as I reflect, as I really reflect on what Jesus is asking of his people, he's asking of me, I feel a bit hesitant about it. I feel like, does he, there's part of me that wants to ask, does he, does he, have, a, does he have a right to ask that? Is he really asking that? I, I think, why is that? I think it's because sometimes I'm a bit like Peter. Peter's this other character in the story. There's a few characters who will pop up in this account. We'll talk about Judas later, who is an interesting and confusing character. But in this moment of the account, we actually focus on Peter. He is the other central character that uh, John recounts. And when Jesus comes to Peter in the circle, do you see what he says? He says to Jesus, Jesus comes to wash him, and Peter says this, he says, you shall never wash my feet. No. He looks at Jesus, whom he's just 
you know, he, he describes Jesus as the Messiah, right? Earlier. He looks at Jesus and says, no. It's an extraordinary statement to look at Jesus and say, no. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus is washing everything. In other words, you are wrong, Jesus. You're wrong. Why does, why does he, why is he like that? I think it is because Peter just looks at what Jesus is doing and it doesn't fit with his worldview. It doesn't fit with the way that he thinks the world should operate. He's grown up believing that actually what it looks like to progress in life is to go up the ladder, to slowly be climbing, to improve yourself, to be achieving things. But Jesus is doing the opposite. And I think it's, and because Peter just thinks differently to Jesus at this point, he cannot understand what he's saying. Look at what Jesus says at the end of our reading. He says, if you do this, I think we kick that cable again. Uh, if you do this, you'll be blessed. He says, if you lower yourself, you'll be blessed. That's not how Peter thinks. He thinks, if you raise yourself up, you'll be blessed. But you see what Jesus is saying, and there's an example here from Matthew 23 where he says, he's talking to the disciples in, that, in, that, in this account in Matthew 23, he says, the greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, I mean, we saw this when we looked at the Beatitudes a few weeks ago. The way that God works and the world works is the opposite to what you're inclined to think. You think, I think, Peter thinks, the way things work is to glorify yourself, you have to slowly climb the ladder. God says, actually, to be exalted, you have to go down the ladder. That's the way Jesus is working. Now, that's why Peter struggles with it. I think we have similar struggles ourselves. You know, I got this, I was, yesterday I was in the office, this buzzed on my phone. Keep it going. You smashed it on Thursday. I have one of those smart watches, right, and tracks your, your activity. We live in a world where we're constantly being encouraged to reach for the stars, to, to achieve a little bit more. This is the whole world. This is, this is our life. Our life is driven by a view that, that the goal of all things, your purpose is to achieve more, to get better at something. This is why you fundamentally exist. It may not be your, your watch that's telling you. It might be your job that's telling you. It might be, have been your upbringing, your cultural background that has driven you to think that the whole purpose of your existence is to get better at stuff, to climb the ladder, to go up. And actually, I think in our culture, we, we then combine this with this meritocracy movement you know there's a sense that if we just work hard enough for long enough that kind of success will happen there's a quote that's in your booklets actually uh, it's by Justine Toe who works for Centre for Public Christianity she writes let's just note that we generally operate with a meritocratic mentality one that goes by the formula of hard work plus perseverance equals success you have rightly earned now this is this is the world that we operating. I don't know if it's the mentality that you have. I suspect deep down we all hold on to this at some point in time. We think the goal of life is to succeed 
And a way it comes is by working hard and it will eventually come to you. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. When you live with that kind of what you call achievement addiction, where you're driven to that, it will necessarily make it hard for you to serve other people. Because maybe you'll say some of these things. If this is who you are, you'll say, if only they worked harder, if only they worked harder, I wouldn't have to serve them if they just took responsibility for their life. I feel like I say that about my kids. If we were to stop and serve them, what would happen to us? See, if you think that the goal of life is to keep going onward and upward, and it's dependent on your efforts, why would you spend your efforts anywhere else but on yourself? Or maybe you do serve, and in the back of your head you say, at least they'll know I did my bit. The problem is, as, as if we're like Peter, you know, if we're like Peter and we just think it's up to us, then we'll always find it hard to serve other people, like the way Jesus wants us to serve, which is at cost to ourselves, which lowers us. So what does Jesus say to Peter? What does Jesus say to Peter that in order to kind of help him debug where he's at? If you, look at the, if you look at his response, he says, Peter, you need to understand. In fact, he uses that word a few times in, in his response. You need to un- There's something that Peter needs to understand. What is it? He needs to understand, first of all, the true extent of Jesus' service. And secondly, the personal applicability of that. The true extent of Jesus' service. And secondly, the personal applicability of it. The true extent of it. See, this event... This action of Jesus washing his feet is much more than it seems at first glance. In fact, it's less about washing feet and much more about something that's to come. John actually tells the story with all these little hints in it because he's preparing us to see this reality. He tells us this is the Passover, not just so we know the time that it happened, but we put into our mind, oh, there's this moment when God deals with the sins and the failures of his people by passing over them in response to a sacrifice. You know, Jesus has been called the Lamb of God earlier in John's Gospel. And now here he is sitting at a table with a lamb, which was part of the Passover meal. And there's a sense in which, ooh, hang on, something significant's happening here. Yeah, actually, John then, when he says he took off his, his, his outer garment, like I said, the word actually there is better, better described. He lay down. His outer garment. And, and if that was written, it might remind us of what Jesus has already said in John 10. I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for his sheep. And even the reference to his clothes will be picked up again in John 19 when John is describing the grotesque, barbaric crucifixion of Jesus and the, the, the soldiers who divide up his garment. You know what John's saying? What Jesus says, this is not just about me washing your feet, it is about me washing your soul. And the extent of my service is not here on my knees, but with my arms stretched out, experiencing the suffering and the barbarity of a Roman cross and the punishment of God for you. That's what I'm doing. And you will understand, he says, eventually. 
But you need to understand that. See, part of what we need to get our head around is the full extent of Jesus' sacrifice is not just an example for us. It's not just stepping stones that you and I need to just then follow upon. Jesus is doing what you couldn't do, what I couldn't do. He's facing the wrath of God for us. He's going to the full extent. But, John, but, John, but Peter needs to understand more than just what this symbol is pointing to. He needs to understand the personal applicability of it to him. See, because Peter has spent his life, the last three years of his life, with Jesus, serving alongside him, but with, a, with I sense, a distinct feeling that Jesus is here for someone else. He's here to deal with someone else's problems. But see what Peter says, what Jesus says to Peter. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. See, Peter hasn't understood this yet. Jesus is going to the cross not for the barbaric Romans only or for the Jewish leaders. He's going to the cross for him. Unless I wash you, Peter. Unless I deal with your failings and sins, Peter. Your inability to serve and sacrifice willingly, Peter. Unless I do that, you can have no part with me. And so it is for us too, you see. You can come, and this, this I've just noticed because I'm thinking about next week's sermon as well, this, this weekend. There's a theme that's going on here over this dinner. You can come to church your whole life and not believe that Christ died for you. You can come to church and serve and participate in the community and never believe that Jesus needs to wash you. If that's you, Jesus says you have no part with me. Each of us must come and realise the necessity of Christ's sacrifice for us. See what Paul says in Galatians. He says this, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's very deliberate about this. I mean, he will in other places talk about Christ dying for the world. But right here he says, me. And so my question for each of us is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ went 2,000 years, years ago to a Roman cross to die for you? Jesus says, unless you believe that, you'll have no part with me. But here's the thing. I think when you understand the true extent of what Jesus is doing and you understand the personal applicability of that to you, it will change the way you treat others as well and the way you live and the way you conceive of your purpose in life. It will change the way a church conceives of its purpose in life. See what Paul says is, the life I now live in the flesh, that is the purpose for which I exist, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, I live accepting that he loved me and died for me. His life is a direct product of coming to accept this. And you and I become more ready and able to lay down our needs 
and our desires for the sake of others when we see that Christ has done that for us. When we see that Christ has done that for us. We see, look how much Jesus did for me. I'm willing to do that for others too. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus which can shape um, our lives individually and our lives as a church. And we pray that we take on that, that, um, that example, Lord, and it would shape the way we treat each other, we treat others, the way we deal with our possessions and our time and our energy. But Lord, let us not lose the central point of what Jesus is teaching, which is that he didn't just come to be our example, Lord. He came to serve us to suffer for us and to die for us. And so, Lord, give us a deep personal appreciation and trust in that truth. And as we do that, Lord, would you change us? Would you change us individually? Would you change us as a church? Would you make us more like Jesus? Because we have seen what Christ has done for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.